0: Well good morning Five Stones Church. I want to look right in the camera and welcome all of you joining us on the other sides of computers and tablets and and computers literally all over the place not just in the great state of Tennessee but all over the United States we have people joining us every single week. Five Stones, will you put your hands together and welcome your church family this morning? We're so glad that you're a part of uh, Five Stones today, and I wanna let you know something. I'm getting really excited because every single Sunday gets us one Sunday closer to celebrating the most momentous day the universe has ever known. We are gonna celebrate Easter, the day where Jesus Christ bought and paid for us, for our sins, and I I get excited. We get a little excited about about that around here, and uh, we're excited about what Easter is gonna look like. I keep telling everybody that this This is the Sunday that you want to invite your friends to. You hear me say this a lot, but this is the Sunday to invite them because um, this is the weekend that more people will say yes to you than ever before. People will say, yes, if you invite them to church. And so inside every single worship guide, you should have invites. We have got invites for Easter for you. And so you can get those into the hands of somebody that needs to hear the gospel. Um, This is why we're excited about it, not just to fill up a house, which that's exciting. Jesus said, I want my house to be full. And so it's, it, it's really fun and exciting to know that we're gonna have a whole lot of people. In fact, we've got two services that day, two options for you, 9.30 and 11 o'clock. But that's not really even why I'm excited. I'm most excited because this is the time of year where more people in America give their hearts and their lives to Jesus than ever before. Uh, and because of that fact, I just I, I want to give you this decla- disclaimer. It, maybe you've been coming to Five Stones or, or maybe this is your first time. You're thinking, I, I don't even know if I like this church. Just invite them to another church. I, I don't, like, w- we care more about making heaven crowded, right? We want to populate heaven and rob hell. And so if, if, if you you're been at Bennett Five Stones and you think, I don't know if this is the right church, just go to any church. Just find the church and invite them there because we get excited because this is the week that people are more inclined. In fact, 70% of the people that you invite to come with you will say yes. Seven out of 10 people will say yes and they'll actually come with you. So make sure if you use this invite, um, this doesn't end up in the bottom of your floorboard. We've been praying over these and, and just believing that these are gonna get in the hands of your family members and friends that you know need to be here on Easter. I'm excited about that. Turn to your neighbor and say, I feel good. Now turn to your second choice and say, I knew that I would. That's right, the book of James Brown, chapter one, verse one. Hey, hey, listen, um, we're excited about this series that we've been in. We kicked it off last week called He and Me, talking a little bit about identity, who He is and who I am in light of who He is. And, and have you ever noticed that there is no shortage of people that, that are willing to tell you about who you should be, like what you should look like, what you should dress like, how you should act, what you should think. Like sometimes it's, it's asked for, and other times it's just offered, right? Even if you didn't even ask for it. The other day I was leaving to go to work and my daughter looked at me and said "Um, dad are you gonna wear that and and I'm in my 40s at you know she just turned 11 and she said are you gonna immediately instantly I thought why doesn't this look cool or, or or dope or epic or hip or whatever they call good now and I immediately went and changed my clothes based on the opinion of an 11 year old girl It just shows you that for the rest of your life, you're always dealing with this this question of of identity, who you are. There's there's so many people that will challenge your identity and your identity will be challenged from now until you enter the grave. It doesn't matter how old you are or who you are or how long you've been on this earth. It doesn't matter. Your identity at some point will be challenged. And you might be here today and think, well, no, I'm 85 years old. Like, I, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. That's just not true. Because your identity will be questioned in some way. The human insecurities that hit all of us will happen at all at some point in your life because the enemy constantly wants to challenge your identity. Because I believe he knows that if he could get you to question who you are, then you'll never approach the throne of God and find out who God is. And let me just tell you that, that your identity will be questioned by the devil loves to do that the the devil will attack your identity all the time but i actually think that the biggest battle for your identity won't even come from satan you know who it'll come from yourself you're you are probably the biggest fight that you will ever face about your own identity because the biggest liar that you face sometimes in this reality about your identity is you we tell ourselves all kinds of stuff. We tell ourselves that we are less than who God has called us to be. We, call our, we sometimes look at ourselves and, and say that we're more than, than who we are. You ever done that? You ever known somebody like that, that that thinks more highly of themselves than they really are, right? That's why the Bible says you shouldn't think more highly than you, of yourself than you ought. It's, we've, we've always got to go back to God and find out our true identity. I, I remember um, a couple years ago they were doing this on social media and they had this um, celebrity doppelganger. You guys remember that? Did you take part in that? It's where you changed your profile pic to the celebrity that you thought you looked like. And I, I remember scrolling through Facebook thinking, um, some of my friends have had a break in reality. Like, you, like you don't look anything like Beyonce. I'm, I'm sorry. And then somebody sent me one, and then I said, uh, yeah, I do kind of look like Jude Law. You know, like, it's like, like, we all do it. Like, we we can lie to ourselves in so many different ways. We start convincing ourselves that we are less than who we are. We're more than who we are. And, And the truth is, our identity does not come from anyone else. It cannot. Your identity can't come from your mom or from your dad. Your identity doesn't come from your coach or your ex. It doesn't come from any of those people. In fact, I believe this, you can write this down. Number one, true identity can only come from Christ. Your true identity can only come from Jesus because he's the creator. He's the one that gave it to you, and everything else is a counterfeit. Everything else in terms of identity is a counterfeit. Until you understand who he is, you cannot possibly know who you are. Last week, we, we looked at this passage of scripture where Jesus was talking to the 12 disciples and they, he was asking them about identity. He said, who, who does the crowd say that I am? And then he asked them a different question. And, and I'm convinced that Jesus decided the way that he was gonna change the world was not just to go and change the world, he was gonna change these 12 people. And the, through those 12 people, he was gonna change the world. And so Jesus looks at him and he asks this question and he says, what about you? He said, who do you say that I am? And this is what he really wants to know. He was asking them, he's asking you this morning the same exact question. And and let me just tell you, Jesus is not worried about the crowd. Jesus doesn't care of what the crowd has to think about him. He's not worried, he's not having an identity crisis. Jesus isn't thinking, gosh, which robe should I wear today? You know, he's not, should I trim my beard or put more beard oil in it? You know, like Jesus is not having an identity crisis. At no point in scripture do we ever see Jesus worried about what the crowd thinks. He doesn't really care what the crowd thinks, but he is very interested in what you think about him because he knows that it is, it is that what you say that he is, how you look at him that is intrinsically tied to who you are and your identity. See, the, the truth of the matter is, is if you walk around thinking that God is this judgmental God, this angry God, he's a demanding father, then you will walk around thinking that God is, is like waiting up in heaven with a lightning bolt ready to strike you down at the first mess up. And as a result of that, you'll walk around scared, not able to do anything that God wants you to do because you're constantly thinking that I'll never live up to the standard that he sets. Now on the flip side of that, if you think that God is just this detached God who doesn't really care, you can do whatever it is that you want to do, he doesn't mind, he doesn't, you can act any way you want, then you'll never live out the life that God has called you to do and you'll step all over the sacrifice of the cross because you, you don't recognize that, that God really does care intimately about your life. I listen to people all the time, and and, 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 and people that have said to me, "I, I don't know if I believe in Jesus, what they do is they tell me, I don't know, based on somebody else's opinion, the opinion of some college professor or the opinion of some family member. You cannot base your opinion of who Jesus is based on somebody else's relationship with him. It's just impossible to do that because it doesn't matter how much your mom believed in Jesus. It doesn't matter how much your great-grandmother believed in Jesus. God doesn't have grandkids. Did you know that? Like, God in heaven has no grandkids. He's not, like, taking out his wallet and showing Peter, hey, come here and look at my grandbabies. That's my great-grandbabies. Here's my great-great-grandgrands, right? God is not in heaven doing that, right? Because there's only first-generation Christians. He only has sons and daughters. And in order to have a relationship with him so that you understand who he is, you cannot get to heaven on somebody else's coattails, You've got to have a relationship with Jesus of your own, which is why he asked this question. Who do you say that I am? Because that question matters. And it doesn't matter how you get to that question or that place. If you have found yourself going, well, I don't know if I believe in Jesus because I read this book or I opened up this website, or this person said this thing to me. All of that is fine. That's great. But let me just tell you something. Close the book, shut down the website, and go to him. Just talk to him. Begin. begin See if he is not there. Have a conversation with him. And not just one. Go repeatedly back to him over and again and see if he doesn't show up. So the disciples, when he asked that question to him, if you remember from last week, Simon Peter, he he answered and he says, this is what, what he said. He said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. See, Jesus gets really fired up about his answer. And and he's not actually excited that Peter says you're the Messiah. Jesus knows who he is. He is not facing an identity crisis. And actually, in those days, you may or may not know this. There were a lot of people claiming to be the Messiah. They would walk up and say, "I'm the Messiah. I'm I'm the one." And some of them, it was because of a weird belief system that they had. They were kind of deluded, but. Others thought they would try and make themselves out to be the Messiah so that they could profit from it or gain some power in some way. So Jesus doesn't get excited that Peter knows that he's the Messiah. He gets charged up because Peter says, you're the son of the living God. And he realizes that that revelation, that incredible moment had to come from time with the Lord. He had to have that revelation from God himself. And he replied back to him, as we said last week, he said, I tell you that you're Peter. And on that rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it. In other words, what he's saying is is I'm going to call you a little rock. You're like a little pebble and on the bedrock of that statement, that's huge because I'm going to build my whole church upon it. He says that when you understand who I am, then I'll tell you who you are and when you know who you are and who I am, not even hell will stop you. Nothing can come against you. Not even the plans of the enemy can slow you down because your plans aren't rooted in this world. They're rooted in Jesus. And so no matter what happens and no matter what the enemy throws at you, you can say, come on, bring it on, big boy. I know who I am because I know who my God is and I know who he has called me to be and what he's called me to do. And so nothing will slow me down. And and, yeah, come on. (laughs) See, I get excited about this point because I, I, I know that if you would just get this, your whole life would change because maybe like me, you have tried living the other way. Or you've tried living a life doing things like maybe if i accomplish enough or maybe if i'm good enough or if i do enough stuff then god will will love me and he'll be happy with me and the moment that you realize that jesus just loves you and he loves your socks off is the moment that you realize that that it's all about relationship for him it's nothing about what you do See, I, I live a good life. I, I have a blessed life. I, I am, and I'm not talking about material material things. And I, I'm blessed there too. I, I thank God for that. But I am blessed because. My reality, my identity, is not tied to the things of this world. It's not tied to the things that happen. I'm not tied to to what can go down in this world, what happens that's good or bad. The things that happen on this planet sometimes frustrate me, right? I look at this planet, and there are things that happen in this country and in politics, and, and I, I get worked up and frustrated. Deborah said, "Just turn off the TV. All you want to do is yell at it," and, and it's true because there's sometimes that there's stuff going on in this world, and if I only focused on the things that were happening in this world. I would be very miserable. Yeah, I would get excited and yell about it too, right? Because there are things that are happening all around us that are frustrating, but my hope is not based on this planet and what can happen here? I have a hope that's beyond the clouds. I have a hope that that is in heaven. That's what Paul said. Paul said, if my hope was based on here, I'd be the most miserable person on the planet, but my hope is beyond the clouds. And it has to be. It has to be all about putting Jesus first, Putting him first in, in, in your relationships and in your career and in your kids and in your finances. See, see, when you put Jesus first and you recognize it's his agenda first, then everything else shifts and changes for you. The problem is a lot of pastors have used that passage of scripture to talk all about tithing. Like you gotta put God first in your finances. If you don't tithe, you're gonna bust hell wide open. <laughs> right? We don't say that around here at Five Stones. We, we say tithing is life, it's not law. I get to give. I get to give to God. I get to put him first my finances, but that's just one component of it. God wants everything. He wants to be first in all of these things. He wants to be first in your family and in your kids and in your life and in your resources and in your finances and every single thing. You've got to put God first. And when you do that, he is able to bless you in so many ways. It reminds me of this verse in Romans eight twenty eight that says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purposes. See, I think this passage of scripture can actually trip up a lot of people. I think over time it's tripped up a lot of people because some people have looked at their life and some bad things have happened. And probably some well-meaning Christian, if you've experienced some bad things in your life that have happened, and they meant well, but they looked at you and said, well, God can use all of those things for the good. And you're looking at your life and maybe it's 10 years after the fact and you're thinking, man, How how could anything good happen out of that bad thing that happened to me? Well, can I just tell you this? Sometimes bad things happen because we live in a fallen, broken world. And bad, the evil happens because people choose to do evil and and they they harm you. That was never in the plan of God. And, And sometimes those bad things happen because we live in this broken place. And if nothing bad ever happened here, we would never have a longing for another place. But we do. We have a longing for somewhere else because we recognize that, that sometimes bad things happen. But the other key part of that scripture is he says that it's gonna work. All things work. That's a key word. Sometimes it takes work. What does work mean? It means that it's gonna be tough that it's gonna take God and it's gonna take you working together. I think sometimes the younger generation, and I absolutely love the younger generation, but I think sometimes they need to go to Home Depot and grab a shovel and get to work, My dad put me on the business end of a shovel, you know what I mean? I like Home Depot. You know what their motto is? You can do it, we can help right i think sometimes when i when i was younger my dad used to put me to work i sometimes i thought am i just shoveling to move dirt and my dad would say no we're not moving dirt we're building character (laughs) and i think sometimes we got to recognize because we don't see that that things come so sometimes with work and we don't like that because work hurts sometimes it's it's difficult and it's tough but he he also says that it's going to work together for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose you see it's his purpose's It's his purpose, not mine. I I look back in my life and I think of some of the things, and maybe I'm like years past the hurt that somebody has given me, and I look back in my life and I think about that thing, and it's only now that I can see that there was purpose in it. Now I look back and I think there was a reason why God had me go through that. He's using through all of that stuff to shape me and mold me and and turn turn me into somebody else. And in that moment, I, I couldn't see it. But I can stand on this platform now and my pain becomes my platform. My misery becomes my ministry. God wants to use all of these things together to help you. And it's in moments of tragedy and difficulty where I don't understand that I'm able to pull back on that. And I think of those moments when God was able to use a pain in my life to benefit me. And the one thing that I've learned through this entire process of dealing with that over time is this, and I hope you learn it too. Don't allow your past pain to prevent you from trusting God. Don't allow your past pains to, to hold you back from trusting God in something that he wants to do in your life. Because last week, we led that, read that passage in scripture where they're coming to grips with who Jesus is. And Peter uh, had this moment where he gains his nickname, if you remember. We say at that moment, Peter found out that he was the little rock. And on the bedrock of his statement, God was going to build his church. And in that moment, he gained more than just a nickname. He found his purpose, his identity inside of that. And that's true. That is where the moment where he gets that. But did you know that's not the first time that Jesus called Peter, Peter? He actually called Simon, Peter, that nickname long before he ever met him. It's in actually, it's in the book of John, John 142. And it says this, and he brought him to Jesus. Now, now who brought him to Jesus is actually his brother, Andrew, which let me just take a side note there and say, uh, Peter goes on to do some incredible things for the church. He he preaches a message where thousands of people get saved one day. He goes on to lead the church in a lot of different ways. Peter does this incredible stuff, but all of that would not be possible if it weren't for his brother Andrew. Andrew was the one that stepped out and said hey you know what I think I found Jesus and I think that if you came you could find Jesus too and so without Andrew there is no Peter and that's why I say you got an opportunity to be Andrew to somebody you have no idea don't discount what God wants to do through this little piece of paper God might use this to get the next person that'll preach to thousands of people and get saved but it took Peter to step out and say hey would you like to come with me? Would you take a break of whatever it is that you're doing? I understand you're busy. I understand you got stuff going on in your life. But if you'll come with me, I found Jesus. I think you can too. And that's just a side note. That wasn't even, that was just for free. And so, so he says, he brings him to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him, looks at Peter. And he said, you're Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated as Peter. This is the first time Jesus has ever met Peter in his life, and he automatically calls him Peter. I'd never seen that before until I read that this, this week. See, Peter calls him, Pe- Jesus calls him Peter before he was even a disciple. Can you imagine how weird that conversation was too, by the way? Like, like what's your name, Bob? Bob, I'm gonna call you Rocky one day okay you know like man, that's that's a little weird Jesus you know could you imagine he probably looked over at Andrew and was like are you sure this is the guy here you know because this is a little strange right but but what he does is he looks at Simon and he says Simon your your name is Simon but one day you're going to be rock one day you're going to be the rock Simon I, I see you as one way and, and let me just tell you this you might see yourself as the same way somebody has called you a mistake somebody has called you a failure somebody has called you that that you're only concerned with yourself and your own purposes but that's not how God sees you. God sees you as restored. God sees you as redeemed. God sees you as blessed. God sees you as favored. God sees you as saved. When God sees you, he sees you the way he created you. Not the way that that the world has called you or the way that you look at yourself. God doesn't call you like you are. God calls you like you'll be. He calls you the way that he knows that you will be. But here's the key. You got to spend time with God to figure that out. That's what Peter had to get in front of Jesus to understand that. And it wasn't until chronologically, if you read your Bible, it wasn't until two years later where the nickname actually made sense. So that moment, the first time he met with Jesus, God told him, you're gonna be the rock. Peter says, okay, whatever, weirdo. Two years later, he goes, oh my gosh, you're the son of the living God. And he realizes that God was trying to call him into something deeper, which lets me believe this. Number two, your identity is received, it's not achieved. You'll receive your identity, you won't achieve it. And you know how you receive it? Proximity. You gotta get around God. You gotta spend time in front of God daily. Everybody say the word daily. You've gotta spend time with God daily. See, Jesus wouldn't have been able to tell Peter who he was if Peter didn't get in front of him. It wasn't until Peter got in front of him that he started telling him what he really was meant to do. I think so many of us wanna know what God wants for us to do with our lives. I think so many of us go, God, would you just tell me what I'm supposed to do, what I'm supposed to, why I'm on this earth, what I'm supposed to be doing. So many of us want that, but so few of us are willing to do what it takes to get there. Jesus says, you gotta get in front of me if you wanna know that. Because if you wanna really know your identity, you've gotta know what the creator thinks about you. Otherwise, what do you have to go on? Yourself. What they say, what the devil says. Like, where else would you get your identity? You've got to get in front of him. And sometimes, sometimes we're, we're really fortunate because you, you, you might be blessed to have some people in your life that will pour into you and they'll encourage you and tell you, man, you're incredible. You're amazing, God loves you and he's got a purpose and a plan for your life and those people will encourage you. They're like the people at the fair, you know what I mean? Like at the fair games, you ever walk through that? Sometimes I just walk through that section for the ego boost, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I really am a winner. I probably could make that basket. Yeah, I bet if I took that little hook thing with the ring, I could put that bottle up there. I'm incredible, thank you guys. I don't even play the games, I just walk through there. Sometimes you got people in your life that'll encourage you like that. Bless God for them, I'm grateful for them. But what do you do when, you, when you're surrounded with negativity? Maybe the people that you work with or you have family members that, that aren't really positive like that. You know, some days we say, some days you're the, you're the statue and other days you're the pigeon. You know, some days you're the pigeon and some days you're the statue. What do you do on the statue days? You know what I mean? Like what do you do in those moments when everything doesn't line up and all you have around you is a bunch of people speaking negative? Well, how, do you, how do you handle that inner dialogue? Like when you're telling yourself all of those self things that can, that can be really damaging. You, you could damage yourself with your thoughts in a hundred different ways. You could be your own worst enemy. Have you ever noticed that? Like you can tell yourself things that are nothing to do with who God sees you as. Your thoughts and the enemy's thoughts that he can try and throw at you, there can be like wolves just waiting to eat you up and chew you up. That's why I always say this. The safer you are from the wolves is when you're closest to the shepherd. The the closer you are to the shepherd, the safer you are from the wolves. Because it was Jesus that said this, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Another translation says "My, my sheep know my voice. They've heard me. And if you find yourself dwelling on a thought that doesn't line up with who Scripture says that you are, you got to take that thought to Jesus. you got to say, hey, I keep thinking this thought, Lord, that I'm less than who you say that I am, that I'm a loser or that I'm not going to make it or that I'm a failure or that I just can't line up. I keep thinking this thought. What do you think about that? you got to take it to him. Take it to the source and let him tell you if that's true or not. Not that long ago, my, my little daughter came up to me and she was in tears, tears welling up in her eyes and she came to me and she said, dad, Joey told me I was lazy. It's a big thing in my family, you can't be lazy. You know, like just we, we, we work, son. And so, so she came up and she was sad, she was upset. She said, he said, I was lazy. And I looked at her and I said, well, are you lazy? And she said, no. And I said, do you think that I think you're lazy? And she could see it in my eyes, what I felt about her. And she said, no. Then I said, well, then why would you be worried about what anybody else said about you? And you could tell in that moment, it like changed her. And she went, I heard her little feet, boom, 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 down the stairs, boom, boom, boom. She went right to Joey and she said, you know what, I'm not lazy. Dad says I'm not lazy, right? She just looked at him and she had this new courage and this new confidence. Why? Because she got to her father and her father explained who she was. And then she was able to look at anybody else that told her otherwise and said, I'm not that person because he said that I'm not. See, this is why we've got to spend time in front of Jesus. This is why the enemy doesn't want you to pray, because prayer is powerful. Let me tell you what prayer does. It positions you, and it positions God. It gets you lined up to where you can receive from God, and it positions you in such a way that God can speak his life, giving words inside of you. This is the reason why the enemy doesn't want you to pray. Have you ever been praying, and and you think of like a thousand different things in that moment? It's like in that moment, I could think of a thousand different things to do. You know why that is? Because the enemy knows that if he can get you distracted long enough, then you'll stop thinking about who God is. And the enemy knows that the longer that you stay in the presence of God, the more clearer it is that who God is. And the clearer God is, the more clearer you are, who your identity is. And the clearer your identity is, the more clear and obvious it is what you're supposed to do. And then the more you know what you're supposed to do, the less anything else matters. All that other stuff just kind of melts away. I think so many of us are chasing after things that that we know won't bring us happiness. So many of us are running after the stuff that we know is not going to fulfill us, but we don't know what else to do. So we go running back to this old idea of who you are. The, The truth is we change. God wants you to change, God expects you to change because growing things change, growing things mature, growing things develop. If you have older kids, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Like they they grow and they're different. Like when they were little, I used to be Superman. Like I could pick up anything. My dad is so strong, dad could lift up anything. I was so strong for them. And and now they're teenagers. And I went to the gym with them the other day and they said, do you think your old old man bones can handle this? Like, like I, I used to be Superman, and now you know, and they can make fun of me because they're teenagers. They literally can, like, eat anything they want and think about losing weight, and all of a sudden, it's gone. The other day, guys, I walked past the Dunkin' Donuts. I smelled a donut. I gained 15 pounds. And they're, they're different, like, but, but they're growing, and they're changing. Like, when they were little, I could pick them up. And now, like, they they spend their time trying to pick me up. You know what I mean? And it's just things are different because they change. Growing things change. God wants you to grow. God wants you to change. God wants you to develop. But he wants you to grow in the way that he wants you to grow, the way that he knows is healthy for you. And this is how he defines health in Matthew 6. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. See, our identity over time grows because in Christ, he'll shape us and he'll mold us and he'll move us and he'll, he'll turn us into who we're supposed to be. See, I think some of us are trying to walk into a new season with an old identity. Like you're different now. And you're trying to go back in, into, into an old identity, walking into a new season of life. And God says, you're, you're different. You've changed, you've grown. You, you should get around people and people not recognize you anymore. And they say, man, you used to be one way. Now you're living an entirely different way. And they're just blown away by that. that. That should happen to you. And that's when you can look them in the eye and say, man, I used to be one way, but God has done something different in me. And I recognize who he is. And because of who he is, now I'm different. See, the kingdom is the, is the exact same way as that. There's constantly gonna be people that are trying to pull you back to being a, a, an old kind of lifestyle. And, and, and that's not what God wants for him. you. You have to live a life where you say, man, I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who gives me strength. I, I, I was bought with the price. My life is not my own. Like I am different now. And this is, by the way, this is why we keep harping on you to join next steps. Every single week you hear me talk about, man, you should go right after service and you should today. If you you don't have anything going on, let me buy you lunch. Because right after the service in the other side of that room, on the other side of that divider, we have people that wanna give you a bunch of free resources. They wanna help you determine your purpose in life. Why? Because we know that if you're really fulfilled, the moment that you recognize who you are in Christ, your whole life changes. You, You start to learn that I can make a difference in other people's lives. And, and, and something can, different can happen. I believe there are so many people, I've met them, they, they, they love Jesus and, and they're empty on the inside. They don't have anything, any fire burning inside of them because they don't know what, what they're put on this earth to do. What are they supposed to do? And, and the truth of the matter is, is when you know who he is, it should inform who you are. And then what you're supposed to do becomes obvious. We said last week in this series, we're talking about order. And we said last week that it's he is first, he is, and then I am. I want to give you the third part. Here it is. If, you, if you're a note taker, you can write this down. He is, I am, I must. That's the third part of it. This is the reason why so many people are unhappy because, because purpose comes from identity. And that identity has to come from Jesus. I think so many times we try to define ourselves by what we do rather than who we are. I want to tell you this. Heaven does not define you by what you do. Heaven doesn't look at you that way. Heaven doesn't define you by your actions. Heaven defines you by whose you are. When, they, when God looks at you, he looks and says, is that my son or my daughter? Have they received Jesus Christ? Are, are they pleading the blood, his blood, his perfect blood over their life? And if you base yourself only on what you do, then constantly you'll have an identity crisis because you cannot always do the right thing. You're not always gonna be able to, to, to do the next perfect thing. And when you don't, and when you mess up, then what happens, your whole identity crumbles. And you start looking at your life and say, who am I? See, you have to have this moment where you recognize that God made me with an I must in my life. Everybody say, I must. I must. There's something that God made you to do, something that he's called each and everyone to do. You know, Jesus knew exactly what his purpose was when he was 12 years old. He was 12, he knew exactly what he was called to do. One time, Jesus was 12, and his parents accidentally left him he was like the first home alone. You know, it's like Jesus was gone. And by the way, if you, parents, if you've ever accidentally misplaced your kid for a little bit, Jesus's parents did it too. It's like they had one job, like watch Jesus. And they messed that up, right? And so they, his parents took him to a Jewish festival and they were having an amazing time. Everything was good. Everything was going on great. And they had such a good time. When they turned to leave, they, they were enjoying themselves. They went three days until they realized, hey, we're missing Jesus. That's kind of a big deal. And they didn't have cell phones, right? So they couldn't say like, hey, Jesus, where are you? Meet me by the camels, you know? Like, so they had to backtrack. They went all the way back. Sometimes you gotta go all the way back. Sometimes you got to take a moment where you go to, I got to remember where Jesus was. Remember that moment when I found him. This is, this is just, I feel from the Lord for somebody. There there comes a place where sometimes you have to stop with the busyness and the stuff and you got to walk back to where the last time you met with Jesus was. You find that moment. That's what had to happen to them. When they went back, you know where they found him? Church. They found him in church. In fact, it's recorded in the book of Luke. It says his parents didn't know what to think. He said, son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? See, everything Jesus just said right there has everything to do with purpose. He said, why would you of all people, like you know who I am, why why would you have to, to search? Like, why would you not know that, that I was right here. Do you see what he said? He said, he's my father, I'm his son, and so therefore I must. See, it's all about purpose. See, he says, if you know who he is, if you know who God is, it'll define who you are, and that will clarify what you're supposed to do. See, Jesus wants you to, to find your identity in him before you do, try and do anything for him, because he knows that's where you're supposed to be. It's not in what you do. It's not how much you do or how little you do and what you have done and what you haven't done. That has nothing to do with it. The enemy will try his best to use that against you because you'll look at your life and, and I hear people say this. Like I say, man, do you know Jesus? Or are you going to heaven? They say, well, I'm a good person, right? I, I, I do good things. That's just human thinking. That, that, that's just a human way of looking at it. because your identity cannot be based on what you do. It can't. It's who you are. Because if you feel so good about yourself that you don't need Jesus, then the moment where you make a mess up of your life, and and, and man, we as people, we do it. And the moment that you make that that mess up in your life, you'll feel like I can't find him. Why? Because it was based on my my identity, was based on what I did. If your theology is based on how much you do and and only what I do makes Jesus love me, like I've gotta do this this better, or I gotta show up, or I gotta read my Bible, or I gotta pray, or I gotta be at church, or I gotta serve in this way, or Jesus won't love me. Jesus says, that's not how this thing works. That's a messed up version of grace. God says, I love you no matter what you do. And when you do something wrong and it's going to happen, if you think that way, you'll think Jesus is mad at you. He's angry with you. And the enemy will use that to eat your lunch. You'll tell yourself like, man, I'm a failure. I've been divorced six times, seven times. I can't get anything right. And you start believing all of these things because he's going to use that against you. But the truth is, it's not what happened to you. It's not what you've done. It's about what God has done. And it's not about what you've accomplished. It's about what God has accomplished. And once you get that, deep down in your knower, and you got to get that. You know what your knower is, right? It's not here. It's not here. It's here. It's just that I know that I know that I know that no matter what I do, no matter how many times I drop the ball, no matter how many times I mess up, God loves me. And there's nothing that I could do to make him love me more. There's nothing that I could mess up that'll make him love me less because he just loves me no matter what. Man, I want you guys to do amazing things for God. I, I hope that you do incredible things for God and attempt huge things for God. But it's god not, it cannot be because that's the thing that will make God happy. Like if I just do this one more thing, then God will love me. No, that's not the way it works. God says, I love you no matter what. See, religion spells a re- salvation, D-O. You gotta do this. You gotta do this and not do that. Do more of this and not stop doing so much of that. And if you would do those things, then maybe God will love you. But Jesus spells salvation, D-O-N-E. He says, it's done. There's nothing else that you can do. There's literally, Jesus was so efficient that in just a couple weeks we get to celebrate this day, the day he was murdered for your sins. And he allowed himself. Nobody did it to him. He willingly gave his life up for us. And he said, because of the fact that there's no way you could be good enough to get it all done, I'll do it for you. And he's so efficient in his work that he didn't leave anything else for you to do. He said, there's nothing for you to do. All you have to do is receive it. All you have to do is say yes to me. Because there's no way, there's no possible way that you could do it on your own. And so he's done that. And he says, listen, the only thing that's left is for you to say yes. It's the only thing that I left for you to do is to just open up your heart and allow me in. It's the one thing, one thing, the only thing that allows you to have a connection with a God like that. And some of you have, have, have been there. You've gotten there. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, because he, he's reached you in that way. He's, You've allowed him into your heart to forgive you of your sins, to, to not just forgive you, but to set you on a new path. And and, I, and some of you, what you need to do today is go tell somebody that. It's be like, like Andrew was with Peter and actually just it would be so good for you to don't let the sun go down on this day without you just finding somebody and giving your testimony and just saying, you know what? God has changed me. I'm different now. And it's been a minute since, maybe it's been a while since you've done that. And maybe this is the day that you just need to look at somebody and say, man, I used to be this way. I used to be blind, but now I see. I used to be living for a life that would make the devil blush, but now it's different. I'm doing something incredible and different and God's working inside of me. And I believe that he could do that for you too. Some of you, you need to do that today. Not because that would just be the thing that make Jesus happy, but because that's the thing that would, that he's changed you. He's grown you. He's developing you. And now's the day that you need to step out and activate what he's done inside of you some of you need to do that and others of you maybe you might be here today and I talked about the sheep that hear Jesus' voice maybe you're like that sheep that, that has never said yes to him do you know Jesus said he'd leave the 99 sheep for the one he's, he loves that we're all here in church today he loves that we're worshiping God and singing songs to him and all of that stuff but he said I'm willing to leave all of the 99 because they've got it to come after you And maybe today's the day that you need to say yes to him and just really realize and come to grips with the fact that he has done that for you.